right, Avalanche fans, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever you may be listening, and thank you for joining the Locked On Avalanche podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Chris Maselli, with another episode of the podcast dedicated to your Colorado Avalanche. And we got back on the ice, and we will kind of dive into a summary of uh, how the exhibition game against the Minnesota Wild went. And uh, getting into part two of our round robin round table, say that 10 times fast, with uh, the hosts from the Locked On Golden Knights and the Locked On Stars uh, podcasts to uh, continue our discussion that was uh, part one was yesterday. If you have not listened to that, please go back and uh, listen to part one. Part two, we kind of get to the here and now and players to look at, what to expect from our teams, and things like that. First of all, follow the show on social media networks, LOPN underscore Avalanche on Twitter, Locked on Avalanche on Instagram, and send anything that's on your mind, questions, comments, concerns, opinions, to LockedOnAvalanche at gmail.com. All right, so I'm not going to go do a deep dive into this exhibition game because it is an exhibition game, and it will probably be the most scrutinized and nitpicked exhibition game in the history of the Colorado Avalanche. And I will say I am just, despite that, despite it being an exhibition game, which it is, and it is an important exhibition game, um, I'm glad they won. Because if they had lost this game, uh, Colorado Avalanche fandom would be throwing their hands up in the air saying, what's wrong? What do we got to fix? Did we bring the right guys? Who's who's going to be in goal? What's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with that guy? But they won the game. And I think that puts people's mind at ease. Was it a, a, a perfect game? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know anybody that would have thought that would have been a perfectly very smooth sailing game. These guys haven't played that style of hockey in months and you have to treat this like it's the start of a new season and and any start of the new season there takes some time and getting used to getting back in that flow we absolutely saw that in this game were there some good things yeah definitely were there some bad things yeah absolutely and again i am happy that the avalanche are in the round robin tournament the round robin definitely has meaning for seeding but um, this is really three games to get things figured out. And if you can pick up a couple wins in the process, but that's a bonus. You definitely don't want to lose any of them. Uh, and you don't want to lose all three because then you're just going into these playoffs not knowing what the heck you're doing right and wrong. But they're going to use these games to really get their footing where the other teams that are playing, it's do or die. So I'm, I'm happy and I'm thankful that the Avalanche are not in that situation. As far as the exhibition went, uh, right out of the gate, no Sam Girard. We didn't get an explanation as to why. The only thing that I possibly could have been, um, if you see Jared Bednar, his press conference after, he wanted Connor Timmins to play. And I think he wanted to see how he played uh, against a you know formidable opponent. And somebody had to be removed. And I think it was that could have been why Sam Gerard didn't play. There could be other reasons why. We don't know. But just listening to what Jared Bednar had to say, 
Could have been that. As far as the game went, Avs came right out of the gate flying. And, you know, you kind of expected that. Got a goal early on, a Donskoy goal off a, I believe it was a Nemetsnikov rebound. Um, and he put it home. Great, great early start. And for both the first and second period, Avalanche came out and were the aggressors, were the better team. And then in the second half of the first and second period, Minnesota turned it and they were the better team. Um, sloppy, sloppy play by both sides to be expected and penalties. My God. Uh, Colorado won for five. And the one that they did have was a five on three by Gabe Landeskog, who I thought played fantastic. I thought he was one of the best guys on the ice, in my opinion. Um, so one for five for them, one for eight for Minnesota. So you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at that like that's way too many penalties, but you can also look at that as, well, you kind of maybe are going to expect penalties in a game like this at this time with everything that's led up to it. And the other side of it is you killed seven out of eight. That's okay. That That's a start. And the penalty kills was something that the Avalanche struggled on uh, during the regular season. So, yeah, I mean, it's a exhibition game. You don't want to give up that many penalties, but you killed seven out of eight penalties. So thumbs up to that. The goalies, I thought the, both goalies played very well. I think people are going to look at Grubauer giving up two goals, but look at the goals he gave up. The The first goal that I think it was Dumbo who scored that. Where'd it go? Yeah, Matt Dumbo scored it. Um, he was in position. It, it was just a good, you got to give Dumbo credit on that. It was a, just a nicely placed shot. Grubauer kind of saw the puck going cross, uh, cross ice. He moved from one side of the crease to the other. He was in a position to make the save. Dumba just put it in a, a, a spot where right underneath Grubauer's arm and he just found a hole. You, you can't, you can't fault him. You have to kind of give more of the credit to Dumba uh, than blame Grubauer. And for the second one, the, it, I don't even know if it was, if it was a shot, it was a terrible shot. I don't know who took it, but it bounced off of Eric Stahl, who was five feet to the left of Grubauer. It bounced right off his chest, right to the, the ice and Stahl was, you know, he's got really good reflexes, and he put it in. So uh, two goals that, I, you know, you could live with in this setting. So I thought he played fine. And uh, Fransos didn't let up anything, but I think maybe that might have been a product of uh, these teams really wearing down. <clears throat> he didn't really have to make any stellar saves. Um, and I think we'll see both these guys are going to play in the, uh, you know, the round robin. So when Francois, if he gets to play in a starting role and he gets fresh legs from the opponents, you know, that'll be his test. This one really didn't test him that much because the third period was basically nothing. Nothing really uh, exciting happened in the third period. But, um, yeah, you can take away some good things. You know, the, the guys that were kind of watching, like the Tyson Jost's, Played okay. Uh, nothing stood out to me. I thought Timmons played well. Uh, he held his own. Um, kind of had. I, there was a couple foolish turnovers that he had, but I mean that that's anybody. 
in this, because of what this game is, um, you know, you can almost forgive kind of mental mistakes this early on for now, but you have to correct those right away. Um, and then we didn't even mention Nathan McKinnon, but that goal <laughs> was just sick. Uh, you know, terrible uh, gap control on, I think it was Landeskog who passed that puck to him, or it might have been Rantanen. Let me see if they have the uh, the Nathan McKinnon goal. It was from Landeskog. There was somebody on Landeskog, and I don't know who the other defender who decided to come up and kind of like double-team uh, Landeskog, and he just led... McKinnon right to where that defender was and should have stayed. Um, and then it's just over. And then he made a, the, the Minnesota defender kind of just do a spin cycle and shot right in that. Awesome. Awesome. He, he, that was midseason Nathan McKinnon right there. So Kale McCarr, um, kind of underwhelming for me. Um, I know he had an assist in the game. I think maybe that'd been his only point, but. I think he just needs to get back in the flow. Obviously, I'm not worried about him. I think he will be fine. So, overall, you won. Great. Um, but a lot of things that need to get tightened up, especially you, can, even if it's an exhibition game, you can't get called for eight penalties. That's way, way too many, even in a game of this setting. So, we'll see uh, where they go from here. Any decisions that are made, I don't think are going to be made as, uh, like you know tomorrow including the goaltending thing that is going to, to see to the end of the round Robin. And, uh, it was a good start And it. And, and all in all, it's just, it was great to see the uniform back on the ice playing and all the names that we know, um, back and, and just back at it. So, um, yeah. And there were games yesterday, but it really didn't start for us until we saw the avalanche on the ice. So that was, it was good to see that they're back. And now we don't have to wait that long until game one against St. Louis. So it's it's a couple days away, a few days away. So hopefully we can get some of those things corrected and uh, get off to a good start when they play the Blues. For now, we are going to turn our attention to part two of the round robin round table with, uh, like I said in the beginning, hosts of the Locked On Vegas Golden Knights and locked on Dallas Stars. And we kind of talk about where uh, our teams are right now and players to keep an eye on, uh, among other things. So here is part two of that. Enjoy it. Speak about that, though, because like, uh, Josh was saying, like, okay, so for the Stars, they are, they're one of the older teams, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Avalanche are one of the younger teams, and I think the I think Vegas is one of is maybe the younger. Vegas is one of the top ten older teams in the league. Yeah, they're yeah they're I thought they're more like in the mid range than anything else. But yeah, that's what happens when you decide to go all in for you know yeah Max so, Pacioretty, Paul Stastny, and Mark Stone. <laughs> hey, so you, we, you you put your chips on the table. <laughs> who did they ever? Who did they ever? <laughs> so we're kind of like in like three different phases where, you know, my team's on the young side, Vegas middle to more higher end and stars are, you know, um, checking out senior living homes. Um, <laughs> what is on for both of your teams? And, and I'm really interested to see what the stars, because the stars seem like they're that team, like you were saying, like, you know, this is a, a season where if, if they don't 
you know, bring it on home, is it like blow everything up and I don't want to, I hate the term rebuild, but um, it's just not going to happen with this group of guys and we have to get younger. So is it kind of like do or die for the stars? And same thing for, for Vegas. Like they've, you know, the, the story has been told, like since they've come into the league, they've done exceptionally well, but they, you know, when, when you go to the, the Stanley cup final in your inaugural season, then you have just put that monkey on your back. Um, and until you win it, you are not going to match what the expectation was for that first season. So what do they have to do if they don't get to the promised land uh, this season? Very interested to see what both of your teams uh, will be doing. So Josh and Kenneth, what's going on with the Stars? And if they, if they can't get to where they want to go by the end of this year? Well, that, that's the interesting question. And it's like, I feel like there's around the Stars organization, there's a lot of question marks that will be answered in this playoffs, not only with ownership, but with head coaching, with certain players and con- and contracts and whatnot, because the stars do have a lot of money tied up in veterans. And, you know, three of their highest paid players are Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, and uh, Joe Pavelski. And, you know, while you don't want to think, or while most stars fans may not even think about it or may not even want to think about it at this point, Jamie Benn is now 31 years old and he's been in the league for an entire decade. That's, to me, that's baffling to think about. And, but at the same time, it just goes to show that they've got a lot of money tied up in these older guys, and it is time to make it count. And, and that's, that's, what this playoffs, that's what these playoffs are all about for the Stars because, obviously, Rick Bonus might be trying for an extension because he's still technically an interim. But that's still a question. Does he even want to be a head coach after this season considering – this current head coaching role was kind of thrust upon him and he accepted it for the better of the team because they needed a guy, they needed an internal hire uh, at the last minute to fill in for Montgomery. And so the question is, does he want an extension? And if so, can he take the stars deep enough to where an extension is warranted, such as can he get them to the Western conference final, or are they going to get bounced in the first round by somebody because they can't score? There's, there's a lot on the table there, but I, I don't really know if they'd blow it up after this year. I, to me, it seemed like when they signed Joe Pavelski to that three-year deal, and Kenneth, I don't know, I feel like you may attest to this also. When they signed Pavelski to that three-year deal this past summer, they set their window at three years. If they cannot win a yeah. cup in three years, then you may be seeing some heavy changes in terms of roster makeup because at that point, Jamie Benn will be 34 uh you know it it, you'll you'll have your guys will all be three years older and you have a nice balance the stars right now have a nice balance of youth and veteran power you know you've got the young guys like Miro Haskin and Rope Hintz Dennis Garyanov that are really starting to make an impact on a year-by-year basis and they're all under the age of 24 I believe and so you've got these guys that are all really young that all have a a bright future ahead of them but at the same time you've also got these veteran guys the 31 year old Jimmy Ben Tyler Sagan's now 28 
uh, Joe Pavelski's 36, Alexander Radulov's 34. Those, ben Sagan, Pavelski, and Radulov, those are your four highest paid forwards on the team. And two of those guys you have locked up until 2025, 2026 at least. The other two, obviously Pavelski and Radulov will both be UFAs uh, at the end of the 2021-2022 season. And so I think the Stars intentionally set their window at three years. And if they cannot win a cup in these next three years, you might see some serious shifting in terms of on-ice talent because they know they have a young future. And they've got the guys that are going up to the bubble with them, like Ty Delandria and Thomas Harley, that should be franchise cornerstones as well. So I think that they're, they're set up well for the future, but at the same time, they really need, they want and they need this current makeup to work and to get a cup because it's been so many years of getting either close but not getting into the playoffs or getting into the playoffs and getting so close to a Western Conference Finals bid. And Kenneth and I had the argument a few podcasts ago, a few months ago, talking about if the Stars get by the Blues in either 2016 or 2019 or both, do they win the Stanley Cup final? And it seemed like a pretty viable path for them had they gotten through. But it's just a matter of can they make this roster work? And they really, really want it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just real quick, I, I agree with Josh. I, I don't think it's a, a blow it up kind of thing uh, because I think the, if you look at how the team's constructed, it's it's obviously a defense first team. And, and their defensive group, the group of defensemen, is, is still fairly young. Obviously, Miro Haskinen headlines that at just 21. The John Klingberg's 27. Essa Lindell's 26. They're both tied up long-term. Then you've got Steven Johns, who's only 28. Jamie Alexiak's only 27. They're both under multi-year deals still. So the defensive part of the team is still solid. And you've got Ben Bishop long-term, who looks who looks like he can, he can carry on for a few more years and, and playing at a, a pretty high level. I think the concern in where you're talking about the window is more so that if you get two years down the road, this offense has already shown that it, it struggles at times to be uh, efficient and overly effective. And it's only – the Ford group is what's getting older quickly. It feels like it's getting older very quickly. I um, mean, they've got a lot of money tied up in those veteran guys. And so it's a matter of can they, can they produce at the level um, that justifies how much they're getting paid and carry this team for the next three, four, five years? Or are they going to have to try to f- figure out a way to perform some, some cal- salary cap gymnastics to, to try to get some, some Ford talent in there that can kind of produce? I think their defensive group, is going to be good for, for a few more years. And I think that was intended. I think that's how they designed the team is to, is to have that core group be around for a number of years and, and just kind of be hitting their prime uh, here in the next year or so. Uh, but that four group, it's, it is worrisome. And I think Josh made a good point. You know, Stars fans don't necessarily want to think about it. Um, but, but when you look at how much money they've got tied up in Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, Joe Pavelski, Alexander Radulov, if this team can't get it done this year or next year, there's some concern about, okay, how do you add more talent to that roster? Because you're not really going to have the money to do so. Yeah, and for, for the record, like, I, I hate when teams that are consistent enough to make the playoffs, uh, you know, year after year or, or more often than not, that just fall short. Um, and then, you know, the fan base gets upset and the front office just says, all right, let's just start over and blow everything up. And I, I don't like – I hate when teams do that. Like with, yeah. with, with free agency and, and, and things like that, like you should be able to go out and find some pieces of the puzzle. And if those guys are, if the front office is doing their job, um, 
then go out and find those couple pieces to slot in and improve your team just a little bit that it needs uh, to get to the next level. So what about the Vegas Golden Knights? What, what, what's at stake for them in this postseason? They're, Vegas is in a bit of an interesting quandary because when the Golden Knights became a thing in 2017, 2018, owner Bill Foley came out and said, playoffs in three, cup in six. Well, you kind of accelerate your timeline when you kind of <laughs> bypass the playoffs in year one and go straight to the final. <laughs> yeah. So you put yourself in that situation. And Vegas did everything in year one to ensure that it did what it could to win the cup in year one. I mean, they were 20 minutes away from securing Eric Carlson in a trade. And when that fell through their next idea that they thought was, Hey, let's give three draft picks to Detroit for Tomas Tatar. And obviously that turned out to be a flop considering he really didn't do much in the postseason. And then the following season or the following off season, one month removed from a, from a run to the cup final, what do you do? Well, you go out and get the former captain of the Montreal Canadiens who you think that if he can get past his injury trouble that he had the last couple of years in Montreal, he can go back to being that 30 goal scorer that he was for the majority of his career. And fortunately for Vegas, it's turned out that Max Pacioretty has become that very guy. He has become the one who they gave up one of their top prospects, the aforementioned Tatar and a second round pick to get this guy and then signed him to a four-year extension at $7 million per year. Then you go all in and get Mark Stone, which was, I think, the move that said, okay, if this team, given this core, they're going to be tied to the cap for the next three, four years, essentially. They're going to be tied to the cap. They're not going to be able to make a lot of moves because the core that they're going to roll with is Stone, Pacioretty, William Carlson, who they just signed to a long-term deal last summer, and then you still have Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault. And not to mention, they still are pretty stacked defensively. Nate Schmidt's 28, Shea Theodore's 24, or Schmidt's 29, Theodore's 24. And then you have Alec Martinez, who they just acquired in a trade, who brings cup experience in that, in that nature. But then the big question is how much pressure is on Vegas to win a cup knowing their number one goaltender is 35 years old and they just signed him to a four-year extension at $7 million per year last year. And they have three more years left on that deal to tend to. So Vegas is in one of those weird situations where they could contend like realistically contend be one of the top four tops, probably one of the top two teams in the West for the next two to three years. But if they don't win this year, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. And I think what, you know, we, we threw out the word weird, especially the reason why this is a very interesting situation for the golden Knights this year is because if they fall short of winning the cup, if they don't even get to the cup final, if they don't even get to the conference final, the biggest question 
that is going to surround everything is what did Kelly McCrimmon think by firing Gerard Gallant? Now, again, the, the Golden Knights were not playing great at the time of firing Gallant. They weren't playing their best hockey. Do I think that a firing on January 15th when you're six points out of a playoff spot was warranted? No. So it makes me think, well, maybe there was some systemic uh, issues that were there. There were probably some differences in philosophy. But you have this team. You are now really Kelly McCrimmon's first year as the general manager. You have made two of the biggest moves that you could possibly make as an organization to say, we need to do what we need to do to win the cup. The first one was that you fired the coach, the former Jack Adams award winner that led you to the cup final in year one. The second thing you did. So there actually there's three things. The second thing you did was hire the coach from your biggest rival. And I mean, that, that organization in itself put DeBoer in a very tough spot because they did not have any resources to re-sign their depth, and it showed, which is why the Sharks, the only thing they could do was fire Pete DeBoer in December. The third thing you did was go out and get one of the best goalies in the league via a three-team trade to essentially say, okay, we need help at goaltending, this is the guy that is going to take the load off of our 35-year-old face of the franchise, and he is going to help us win a cup. If Vegas does not win the cup this year, one, you have to wonder if hiring Pete DeBoer and not retaining Gerard Gallant was the right move. Two, you have to figure out what in the world you're going to do about your goaltending situation because Robin Leonard is an unrestricted free agent. And if you don't win the cup, you're likely not going to re-sign Robin Leonard. And if you do, you are going to have to trade one or two key pieces on your roster to create the cap space to give the money that Robin Leonard deserves. And the term, not just the money, the actual term and the long-term security that he deserves. So when you think of all yeah. of that, <clears throat> wow. Vegas is in great position. To win the cup now, based they are fully healthy, with the exception of Pacioretty still in Vegas. He'll rejoin the team at some point. With They're fully healthy. Their goalie tandem is great. They have a coach that has instilled a system that, for lack of a better term, worked for the 22 games that he was hired as coach. You put all that together and say, that is a team that should win the cup. And if they don't, there are a lot of questions because don't get me wrong. If they don't win, they could be back in the playoffs next year and be as dangerous of a team as anybody, especially if they're healthy, if they stay healthy. But this year and the events that have unfolded have basically said to everyone involved watching the golden Knights, it is cup or bust. The minute that Robin Leonard was acquired or even the minute that Peter DeBoer replaced Gerard Gallon at seven o'clock, in the morning on January 15th. That was the moment that said, okay, you have officially said that if this doesn't work, it is on management. And if they do not deliver a cup, I'm not going to think they're going to blow it up completely, but there is going to be a lot of questions surrounding the organization and really surrounding the future construct of this team because now you have to start thinking who is going to be on this team outside of the top six next year 
and who is going to be number one, your goaltender, and two, are you going to find the resources to make Pete DeBoer successful because it is now on you that this is why he is now the coach. So I don't necessarily think they need to blow it up next year if they don't win the cup, but the pressure is absolutely grade a 100% high on this team to win it this year. Wow. Yeah. I, hiring, <clears throat> hiring DeBoer was like, is like some like, you know, almost like Michigan hiring like urban Meyer. Like that was, it was just like a, yeah. it was like a one, two punch of, I can't believe you fired this guy and look who you hired. I mean, and, and you said, you know, at the beginning of that saying how their, their, their thinking was uh, when they started the, the franchise was, what'd you say it was? Uh, it was playoff, playoffs in three, cup in six. And you went from Stanley Cup finals in one to firing your coach in three. Yeah. So you flip that on its head. And so it, that just goes to show you how, Things don't go according to plan. No, they don't. And <laughs> and I mean that that was, I mean I mean again I don't think Gallant lost the locker room. It it, it did not help that they lost four games in a row, especially their last one in Buffalo. That was just a complete and utter, uh, complete and utter dumpster fire. That yeah. game in Buffalo. Um, but I mean I don't think Gallant lost the locker room. He was a players' coach. Um, there's a reason there's reasons why he is highly regarded for some of the vacancies and for some of the job openings, including Dallas, um, for the job there. I mean, Gallant was really beloved by everybody. And then you go, you turn it around and you hire the guy that Gallant called a clown prior to game seven of the first round. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And it's like, well, you right. better hope this works. Yeah. Because if it does not it's now the eyes are fixated on that first year general manager and that by the way george mcphee became just the president of hockey operations just to ensure that no team including seattle would lure in kelly mccrimmon so now everything is on him if this fails mm. very interesting <clears throat> very very interesting well i mean t for as far as the avalanche go um they're kind of on the opposite end of, of kind of what you guys are talking about for your teams. But, um, you know, in, in one aspect, you can say they're kind of like playing with like house money because they're so young and they're doing so well. Um, you can almost say like, wow, you know, they're, they're set for the next minimally five years plus. Um, so you would think their chances of, of you know, winning a cup within that, that time frame is pretty good. But at the same time, you have to t tell yourself, like, absolutely nothing is guaranteed. You know what I mean? Go, go tell, you know, uh, some of the, the great players in, across all sports, like the Dan Marinos of the world, like, oh, he'll get one. And they don't. So yeah. I think for the avalanche, it's the earlier you can get one out of the way, the better. Because the longer it goes on um, and you have this young team, and if it goes, you know, this year, if you fall short and then next year, the same thing. And then next year, the same thing. Now they're getting into the places of where you guys are talking and it's like, all right, what's wrong and what do we need to replace? And that's getting way ahead of myself. I'm, I don't want to, you know, go there and just say <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Um, but the bottom line is they put themselves in a very, very good position. And the scariest part about them is, 
their system of players that they don't even have right now coming up are, are just ridiculous. Um, yeah. A lot and, of, and I, and I mean, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean, no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, the other thing that we forget about Colorado is that they were also one game away from the Western conference final last year and they were a wild card yeah. team. Yeah. Like, yep. like that, that the way that they just absolutely shell shocked Calgary in the first round last year. Right. I mean, I, I don't think any of us saw Calgary making a run last year, but I don't think any of us saw them getting shellacked in five games by Colorado. No. And it, it's just the fact that the, and the one thing that was holding Colorado back last year, ironically, San Jose cut this off from them. But the one thing that held Colorado back last year was their depth. They didn't have anybody outside of the, out of the top six. Their bottom six wasn't producing. What do they do? They go out and get Eunice Donskoy. They, they go out and get Pierre-Edouard Belmar, who was a fan favorite in Vegas. They go out and get Nazem Kadri, And all of a sudden, their depth is absolutely they, – they have a top nine that can rival anybody in the NHL. If their goaltending can be consistent, which it's shown in sense that it definitely can be, then Colorado, without question, is probably the most dangerous team out of the Western Conference field because we know what you're getting from the top from the top line. After that, they have guys that can beat you in so many different ways, and that's why when they made the moves that they made in the offseason, I was like, "All right, there you go. There's your there's your perennial favorite. If St. Louis falls off in the West, there's your top team in the West right there because they are just loaded at every position right now." I talk about him every day, Danny. Keep going, man. I'm, I, I like this. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, that was the thing. It's like the minute I, I think it went in succession, right? It went from they got Donskoy like in the first couple hours of July 1, and then like an hour later they got Belmar, and I said, well, crap, they just, they just bolstered their bottom six with just two signings, and then they go out and get Kadri. Which I mean, you know what kind of talent he brings, and at the same time, you know what you know he starts stirring the uh, stirring the old poop there, if you know what I mean. So I mean, it, you you take all of that together, and it's like this team with their youth, with their depth, and their goaltending, they are dangerous. They are probably the danger, the most dangerous team in the Western Conference outside yeah, of St. They're, Louis. They're, you would think, you know, as young as they are. Uh, you would kind of like, if you're talking about, think like, all right, you know, they got to have a weakness somewhere. And you would think because of their, their youth, their, their weakness might be experience, but they have that, you know, they, mm-hmm. they made the playoffs last two years. And like you said, last year was a run that, um, you know, is in avalanche world, a terrible offsides call away from, maybe winning that game seven against San Jose. And then who knows what you do in the conference finals, but um, exactly. They, oh, and I also, I also left out uh, and Josh and Kenneth will agree to this. Uh, the, the revival of Val Nachushkin oh, has also oh, been oh, well God. documented. See, in Colorado. Yes. <laughs> you, you beat me to it. I, I was, I was holding that card. Until, uh, <laughs> right hey, uh, hey, to be fair, he did set one of the most incredible feats of professional hockey history last season 
when he did not score a goal or take a penalty minute the entire year. That <laughs> takes skill, the likes Very of which important. I don't think any of us – that is like big-time energy, the likes of which I think all of us wish to strive for but can never achieve. <laughs> how, how is he not a shoe-in for the Lady Bing if that was – That's what I was just about to say. <laughs> God. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, can, can we all agree to put Nachushkin over Austin Matthews for the Lady Bing? Is that, oh, my is God. That sense? Of course. <laughs> yes. That, talking about a questionable uh, selection, in my opinion, yeah. anyway. Um, so, all right. So, you know, let's talk about individual players. Who, who are some guys that you are expecting to have uh, a really good postseason on both your teams? Danny, if you want to take it. Yeah, sure. I th- I, you know what? I think after watching that series in San Jose last year, what Stone and Pacioretty did in that seven-game series, and, and even Paul Stasny, but, but I can't really put Stasny in that group because when the playoffs start, the top line is going to be Pacioretty, Carlson, and Stone. What Stone and Pacioretty did, in, even through the first four games of that series, was absolutely ridiculous. And in and it made Vegas fans so excited to see what they could do together for a full season. Like this is the guy who stone, who is likely going to be the first captain in franchise history next year. He goes out in this series and just dominates that game three against San Jose where he gets a hat trick. And I think he had two more assists that night. That, that was just the sign of, okay, this is, this is the reason why Vegas got this guy. Like the, the fact that he was able to be so destructive that those two on that same line with Stasny were just so dominant throughout the course of that series, even though it ended the way that I don't think anybody anticipated, they still dominate. I think they both had, I think they combined for like 25 points in that seven game series, which was absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think even through game four, the second round it, for most series, they were still one of the top five leaders in scoring both of them. Like, that's how ridiculous they were in the first round. Um, the other person that I'm going to be very interested in watch, and I kind of touched on him earlier, is Flurry. Just, you know, there is pressure on Marc-Andre Flurry to really deliver in these playoffs, not just because he hasn't performed in the playoffs. He's, for the last two years in, with Vegas, even last year, he has been absolutely fantastic in the playoffs. But it's a whole different animal knowing that there's another guy behind you that's willing to take your spot going forward. And, I mean, Flurry is obviously, you know, he's been in the league for long enough, everybody knows, one of the most stand-up people in the league. He's come out and said, you know, if Pete wants to make this a competition or if Pete wants to go with the hot hand, that's totally fine. I mean, this is the same guy that had to take a back seat to Matt Murray for back-to-back cups. So he's no stranger to this, but it's a completely different animal when you, the guy behind you is a Vesna finalist and has been absolute. And, and even if it was three games starting for Vegas, he was dominant in those three games and it made you, it cleared all the reasons why Vegas got him at the deadline and in camp, he looked fantastic. And that that's pretty much the reason why Pete DeBoer is going into this camp with the mindset of, I have no idea who I'm going to start in game one of a seven-game series. But I know I got two goalies in my back pocket for whomever I can go with. And he already has come out and said that he's going to start one goalie in game one, and then they're going to split the games two and two. 
So whoever starts on Thursday against Arizona, uh, the other one will start on Monday against Dallas and then vice versa between St. Louis and Colorado. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Flurry performs when he gets his chance. And it's going to be interesting to see if he does say, if he does start in game one in a seven game series, is that good enough to keep the momentum going and riding Flurry as long as you can, or do you go Flurry Leonard, Flurry Leonard, Flurry Leonard all the way as far as you can go. So that that's going to be, those are going to be the three guys that I'm looking at most intently in this playoff run. And has, has Flurry ever really been, been pushed? By anybody since he's been uh, to Vegas, have they, no. have they had a backup oh, so in, Ve- in Vegas? No. In Vegas, in um, Vegas yeah. no, he is not. Um, the minute they selected him in the expansion draft, it's like, all right, dude, it, it's your show, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and I and I mean, in year one, I mean, the the story doesn't get told enough. The number of goalies that Vegas went through in year one is absolutely ridiculous. And, oh, even Maxime. <laughs> Oh, Max Lagasse, yes. Yes, yes. he uh, was the I, – I call them like third goalie, fourth goalie, fifth goalie, because after Subban got hurt, then we went into the real depths of whatever the hell we were going into. Oh, I forgot they had Subban. <laughs> With yeah. Oscar Dance, Max Legacy, and then Dylan Ferguson, who – a former Stars draft pick, by the way, yes. who was traded and in the uh, Mark Mathot deal. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it, Dylan Ferguson was the backup goalie at one point, and one night in Edmonton, uh, Max Legacy gets uh, lit up for seven goals, and in comes Dylan Ferguson, uh, allows one goal, and then makes a save on Connor McDavid, to which he is now in Vegas Golden Knights legend uh, from here on out. But um, – no, he really hasn't been pushed. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, not going with Malcolm Subban enough before they traded him to Chicago. Um, and that was always one of the biggest things. It's like, well, if you're worried about Flurry getting rest, why not, why not put the young guy in and see what he can do? But that never materialized enough to the point where they thought that Subban was challenging Flurry from the job. It was basically Subban was just spot starting Flurry whenever. But now this is a situation where he could be pushed for the job in the playoffs. And then, and then that opens up the whole thing I mentioned earlier of, yeah. well, if Flurry starts underperforming and then Robin Leonard starts leading this team to a Stanley Cup, then what in the world do you do next year with your goalie situation? You can't just let the guy who won your cup basically just walk in free agency. Right. It's blasphemy. So. Right. There, there are there's so many moving parts in that goalie situation. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think uh, going in to a playoff, your your eyes are always on a goalie. Which goalie is going to stand out? Uh, because there's that that's like you know starting pitching in in baseball playoffs. Um, yeah. It's always mm-hmm. fun to see goalies just take it up to another level, and that's where the Avalanche are. Uh, we're kind of in the same situation. They have two very capable goalies, and we don't know who it's going to be. Um, and it could be just a back and forth thing. And, and it doesn't really, doesn't change the way that, that they play, depending on whether it's Grubauer or Frensos in goal. It's, they're both willing, ready, capable. Um, so I'm really interested to see where uh, their, their goalie situation goes, kind of similar to what Vegas is going through, it seems. What about uh, our Locked On Stars guys? What, who, who player, what players are you kind of focusing on for this postseason? Well, Kenneth, um, I think I think it's fair. We you know both both rattle off one or two. 
but the weird thing is, at least I, I think Kenneth agrees with me here, is that it seems like there are so many players on this Stars roster that you just are expecting to step up in this year's yep. postseason. And, you know, the first – starting from the very top, you think of Jamie Benn. Now, two or, or just a handful of years ago, Jamie Benn was a, an 80-point player, 40-goal uh, scorer back in 2016, and an Art Ross winner in 2015. But for the past two seasons, his point production has been way down. Uh, I think he had a 50, 53 last year, I think, and 39 this year. And so you look at him, though, but when you look at the – uh, you look at the playoffs for Jamie Benn, it's a different story. And that's always been a weird story because there's – that's always been a weird theme, rather, because there's no exact, I guess, correlation between why a player plays better in the postseason than the regular season. But Jamie Benn truly does stay up to par in the postseason regardless of what his regular season looked like. I mean, even last season against the Blues and against the Predators and Blues in 13 games, he had 10 points. I think he was second on the team in points. And then you get to or his second. Kenneth was the second that we talked about yesterday, or was he? He was third behind Sagan and Zuccarello. Behind Sagan and Zuccarello. Okay, yeah. So third, and then he's got 30 points in 32 career playoff games. So almost a point per game player in his three trips to the Stanley Cup playoffs over his career. You look at him and you automatically think, if he can be a point-per-game player, that automatically gives the Stars a boost on offense, a boost they desperately need, they needed throughout the regular season. And, you know, Jamie Benn, if you've watched ever watched a Dallas Stars game, you know Jamie Benn is that 200-foot player that can play offense and he loves playing defense. He gets physical, gets uh, aggressive in the corners, and will do anything to help his team win. And you want that guy on your team, but if he can also score a point a game, whether it's a goal, an assist, whatever, and add to that goal total you know, at the end of the game, that's a big boost. And that's what the Stars really do need, not just from him, but from other players. You know, Alexander Radulov went through a pretty big goal slump this past season, so did Tyler Sagan. If your big three can get back to producing at a point a game, that's a big boost. One of the big names, though, that I'm looking at is Joe Pavelski. And yep. that's because throughout the, past, throughout the final month of the season before the pause, he was primarily on a line with Matias Janmark and Alexander Radulov. And when you go back and look at the numbers, they didn't necessarily score a ton, but they were building chemistry and they were one of the best possession lines on the Stars. Rick Bonus talked about it a lot during training camp. It's one of the two lines that he actually kept together from the pause back in March. And so to have him skating at center, being able to play that net front position, uh, be the, that puck deflector that he's known for being, I think if that line can continue the chemistry that they built throughout the regular season and have that puck possession where they can be in the zone for up to a minute, you know, minute, minute and a half without having to loot or without letting the puck out of the zone, and creating a lot of scoring chances, Joe Pavelski could end up being that prime goal scorer that the Stars were expecting him to be this year. Although when you're in this system that the Stars are in, it's a bit of a different story. Everybody's numbers are down in a defense-first system like the Stars play in right now. But if you can get Joe Pavelski 
back up to what he obviously that 38 goal season last year in San Jose, not expecting that. But even when going into the playoffs, his career numbers in the playoffs, 48 goals and a hundred points in 134 playoff games, including that 14 goal run in 2016, when they went to the Stanley cup final, if they can get him back and get him going with that line and creating just more consistency and having three to four threatening lines in the offensive zone, I think Joe Pavelski could be one of the biggest X factors for the stars this year. And that's not even talking about, you know, all the experience and leadership that he brings to a Stanley cup playoffs run. Yeah. I, I just to kind of tag on what Josh said, obviously Joe Pavelski, he's the one that I think a lot of stars fans are going to watch. I think when, uh, when he was signed this past off season, it was with with an eye on the regular season and the other eye on the postseason and what he could what he can bring to the table uh, during the playoffs. I think I think one of the other guys that's really going to have to step up and it's it's another big name and it's Tyler Sagan. This team does struggle to score goals and, and Tyler Sagan is is should be their best goal scorer and he struggled a little bit this year. He's got just 17 goals um, during this campaign. And it's, it was something he I, – I, I'll have to check with Josh again. I think, what was it, a 17-game goal streak? Yeah, 17. He went 17 games at one point, led the team in points, um, but he was doing a lot more by way of assists. And I think that's something the Stars need is him to step up, put the puck in the back of the net, and kind of be a catalyst for this offense. He's going to be on the top line probably with Jamie Benn. Again, there's been some, some line shuffling during training camp, but it looks like hey, there's a good chance he'll be back with Benn. Uh, and then the rookie, Dennis Gurianov, who – actually led the team in goals this year. Um, but, but if he can take it to that next level that we know he has, he, he, he's been a goal scorer within recent years. I mean, he, all you have to do is go back to 2018, 2019, and he's a 30-plus goal scorer pretty much every year, pushing 40 a lot of years. But he, he really struggled to score this year for whatever reason. Some of it was bad luck. He had some bad breaks. He, he hit the post. Uh, it seemed like it was a running joke. It seemed like he hit the post once a game during that goal streak I mean, every game. night it seemed, <laughs> yeah every night it seemed like he hit the post or the crest wall so i think i think he's got to he's got to find that next level he's got the postseason experience um even though he's one of the younger guys on that four in that forward group he's got 62 postseason games under his belt obviously he had a, a number of deep runs with uh with boston um before he came to dallas so he'll be an x factor and then you know uh danny you talked about Marc-Andre Fleury and the importance of a goalie. And obviously a lot of this is going to ride on Ben Bishop. Um, he was phenomenal in the postseason last year. He really was kind of a catalyst, not just uh, – obviously not just doing his job in the crease, but some of the stuff he was able to do, some of the saves he pulled off, you could see it kind of lift the team when they needed a little bit of a spark, especially in that uh, Nashville series. Um, yeah. He was, a, he was a big element in how good their penalty kill was. I believe they held Nashville – somewhere in the 0 for 20 range around there during that entire series. Nashville could not score on the power play. And he was, he was a big part of that. He was excellent um, in the crease. And I think they're going to need that again. Obviously they've got Anton Hudobin, who is, you know, we mentioned is one of the best, I guess, one B's. The, the stars don't call him a, a starter and a backup because they, they split time somewhat evenly about 60, 40. But when it gets to the postseason, Ben Bishop is the guy you're paying to be in the crease in the postseason. I think that's, they're going to need some stellar performances from him. He's got a great defensive group in front of him. Um, and you know that they're going to do their job. They've done it all year. They did it last year. But this team, at the end of the day, is going to struggle to score a lot of goals. And so he's going to have to limit opponents. When you look at the teams that they're going to have to face in the Western Conference, they've got – I mean, these teams can score goals. Obviously, the Avalanche are one of them. They just – I mean, they score goals for fun, it looks like, a lot of the time. 
And so he's got to be – he's going to have to come up with some big saves and keep them in games uh, until their offense can figure it out. And if you go back to last season's postseason run, that's what he did a lot of the time was it was just Ben Bishop for two, two-and-a-half periods keeping them in the game until the, until the offense could find something. So if he's on fire, you know, it's, it's, a, it's all the more power to the stars. They're going to feel like they can make a deep run, but they really are going to lean heavily on him again in the postseason. And that's what he's getting paid to do. It's not a shock to him. It's not a shock to any of the fans or the front office, but they're going to lead. They're going to lean heavily on Ben Bishop during this postseason. Yeah, more goalies. I mean, it's it, yep. it's where everybody's eyes are. Um, as far as the Avs go, I wish the Blues guys were here because uh, I'm I'm my eyes are going to be on Eric Johnson this postseason. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and and you know he carries that you know number one overall pick label around, and I think people. Um, come down on him a lot because he's, he, I mean, he hasn't really lived up to a number one player, a uh, number one draft pick player, but um, he's just been a, he goes about his business and he, he's, he's a solid defender. He's not, you know, he's not going to really like win you any games or anything, but the, the word around camp is he has been, I mean, he's nicknamed the condor and the word is he has been flying around the ice. I don't know what he's on, but um it's some good stuff because he <laughs> apparently he, he's been like the standout player in their, in their um, training camp. So, and I did a show yesterday where I said, you know, there, there's really nobody on the avalanche that if they win it will be like the, like the Ray Bork moment of somebody, you know, who has been just in league forever, just can't get the championship and finally does, but he yeah. would be the closest thing to it. I think. Right. Um, so I'm definitely watching him. Miko Ranton is another one I'm watching because he's just been injury riddled all year long. But whenever he's he's playing, he's typical Miko Ranton, and he's been phenomenal. But he struggled to stay healthy this year. Um, that the one injury he had, I can't remember who was it against. For some reason, I'm thinking it was Dallas. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But his ankle twisted in a way ankles are never supposed to twist. Um, and if you have a squeamish stomach, don't go YouTube it because it's pretty bad. Um, and he was out for that for a long time, but when he came back, I think his first game back, he like scored four points. So he's like, he, he is anxious to play, um, and not, you know, he's anxious to play a, a, a long stretch of games healthy. Um, and the last one that I'm really interested to watch is the guy they traded for at the trade deadline, Vlad Nemetsnikov, uh, from Ottawa. And, and I think this might go for a lot of players traded at the trade deadline. They didn't get a lot of games with their new team. So yeah. they're, they want to show, like, especially a guy like Nemetsnikov, who came from Ottawa, um, who you plucked him from, you know, the, the depths of the league. And now you're playing on, you know, one of the upper echelon teams. And then the season stops. So I think he is anxious to get out there and really show what he can do um, on this team. So, yeah, it's, you know, that's the best thing about the playoffs is guys rise to the occasion. And who are going to be those guys across the entirety of the playoffs that um, really kind of shine? I'm, I'm always looking forward to that. And, of course, Nathan McKinnon. I'm really – I just – you want to watch him every single day because he's just a freak of nature. So. Oh yeah, if, <laughs> I, I actually I actually got one more player that I want to highlight. Uh, Alex Tuck, um, 
who has been dealing with injuries all season long. Again, another injury riddled guy. But really, ever since the acquisition of Stone, he has not had any consistent line mates. He's been shuffled around from the second line to the third line. Last year in the playoffs, he was completely quiet. I think that had a lot to do with the uh, with the vacuums on offense that were Ryan Carpenter and Cody Eakin. So that really did not help Alex Tuck's matter anymore. But when Pacioretty is healthy, I think Vegas finally has a third line that could actually make a difference in the playoffs, something they have not had in the last two years with Chandler Stevenson and Nicholas Waugh, who they acquired from Carolina and the Eric Hall trade over last summer, who's been absolutely fantastic. Um, but if Alex Tuck can get going and if he can ignite that offense, uh, by the way, the Oilers just scored a goal like two minutes in. My God. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. By, by uh, who? By who? Uh, it was uh, Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, <laughs> literally a minute four in and Cam Talbot is already helping his former team. Um <laughs> Yeah, but if Alex Tuck can be that 50-point guy that he showed flashes of being last year, and if he can turn that into the playoffs, Vegas is going to be dangerous on that third line. So I'm very interested to see what he can do because he might be one of those guys that, like I mentioned before, if Vegas has to make a tough move and they got to get some assets back for a player or two to cut some salary cap move or some salary cap space, Alex Tuck might be that guy if he doesn't perform. So huh. I'll be I'll be looking at that for sure. All right, so we are going to stop things right there. Yes, this episode has gone on a little bit longer than usual, uh, but when we have these special ones like this and we get going, it's tough to just stop. So uh, we're, we're going to put a pause on it right there, and the last and final piece will be tomorrow. And that's a fun one because we kind of talk about what we think our teams are going to do against the other teams within the discussion. So definitely tune into that tomorrow. If there's anything else that happens in the Avalanche land, of course, we'll talk about it on here. If anything is serious about Sam Girard, you can be sure we'll be talking about that. Uh, but I don't think it's anything serious. So we're going to wrap it up right now, guys. Thank you for sticking around for this extended episode. A uh, lot going on, obviously, with the talk and with the Avalanche finally back on the ice with their exhibition game. Uh, tomorrow will be back down to the shorter parameters of the episode. So thank you for tuning in for part two. Stay safe. We'll see you guys tomorrow. And here's Jovi. Go, Abs, go. Go, Abs, go.